Welcome, everyone, to the Runaways Rundown podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. And let me just say, the answer is yes. I am ready to do TV. The Runaways Rundown podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 102, Rewind, is sponsored by LeapFrog, your driverless solution to moving dead bodies around. <laughs> well done, Pete. I suppose well-timed since we know many of our listeners listen while in the car. Glad to be here today talking more Runaways. It certainly is a fun time to be podcasting. We got Runaways. We got Punisher. We got Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. coming. A week from tonight, Matt, it does not seem like it's that close, yet the calendar says that it is. It is a magical place. It is a magical time. <laughs> I'm just excited, Pete. We're, we are full on, you know, uh, particularly with Star Trek Discovery on hiatus until uh, to, until January. We are full on in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It doesn't get any more realsies than this. Uh, I guess we will take one little pause between now and the end of the the uh, the end of this year. Apparently, there's some space movie coming out that we'll check out, but uh, otherwise, it's all MCU all the time. Let's get you at that Runaways recap. Having witnessed their parents' ritual, the runaways run. Tina Minoru wonders if the flash they saw was from the staff of one sound barrier. As their parents uh, change to check on the kids, Molly snaps into action and opens the door to the passageway with her strength, but the kids don't notice. As they return to the guest house, Alex has a plan and the lights go out. We hit the title card, Matt, with the information that this was an episode directed by Roxanne Dawson, she of Star Trek Voyager, Balana fame. Pete, do you know how many uh, Star Trek directors I have met in my life? Quite a few. Star Trek directors? Uh, sorry, I guess I was excluding Frakes and LeVar Burton and all of that but pete i met roxanne biggs dawson <laughs> or at the time she was biggs dawson now she's just back to biggs sometimes that happens uh, i mean between the two of us we've met quite a few of them and and you know tom paris and uh dawson and frakes and lavar burton and yeah we've, we've seen we've, gates mcfadden speak I, i'm sure yes, she directed yeah them, yeah, so. yeah we've 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 met a lot of them all right earlier that day alex uh, leaves after his parents talk and they reflect on Amy's tragic passing before planning the pride meeting that night. Chase talks with his mother, Janet, and says he can't wait to leave for college to get away from his father. Mom gets a mysterious call from someone she says she can't wait to see that night, even though her husband will be there. Speaking of two-time humanitarian of the year, Victor... His pod is giving him problems and a rat won't dematerialize. He winces with the sound and his wife asks if he's having headaches again. She suggests that he reach out for help, which he outright rejects despite the pressure he's under. Leslie Dean is informed destiny has disappeared from the church of Gavarum. Her husband, Frank, meets with his agent, who has to let him go from his client roster, but suggests that he get in on the church's coffers. 
Frank informs Phil that the church is Leslie's through a deal negotiated by his father-in-law before he died. As the Minorus put Amy's tennis trophy back together, Tina flashes the staff's power by sealing her husband briefly behind a force field. After dropping their daughters off at school, Stacy York reminds husband Dale about the pride meeting that night. Dale wants to bail, but if anybody's earned that right, it's Stacy who stayed up all night with the female dinosaur in their basement. At the Wilder construction site, gangsta Darius Davis gives the construction crew the day off. When Jeffrey comes to the site, which is too important to jeopardize, he is patted down and his phone is taken so he can't record their negotiation. The suitcase he brought doesn't contain 50 grand, but instead a tablet with a video feed, a Nana B's house, and a threat that only her spicy chicken recipe will survive. But Darius seems to have anticipated this outcome as his little homie has completed a download of the data on Jeffrey's briefly surrendered phone. Leslie catches destiny before she boards a bus as she reveals it's her child's third birthday. But now she's ready to accept that responsibility thanks to the church. Leslie, however, wants her to delay so she can take destiny to the ultra level that night. Amidst photos of her father, Frank interrupts Leslie's meditation with the announcement that he's ready to go ultra too. He wants to lighten her load so she doesn't end up like her father who died of testicular cancer. Additionally, she informs Frank that he cannot tag along to the pride meeting. At the meeting, Jeffrey gets cold feet about destiny because she's the same age as their children. Leslie rationalizes the time the kids they sacrifice had with her church, uh, extended short lives that they would not have had uh, if they stayed on the street. As the ceremony is being prepared, Leslie lets someone know that they're ready and a box encloses the mysterious figure back at the church before she gets destiny. Jeffrey asks Victor if he test drove the box earlier, which Victor asserts is ready. The Yorks's temper a purifying beverage for destiny who thought the ultra ceremony took place in the desert and she doesn't seem to recognize anyone as church members. It's something several of them will later acknowledge as a tough ceremony before they see that flash. Alex cuts the power, Carolina has an idea, and Molly has passed out. As the Wilders check on the kids, who cover by playing Twister, they think their secret is safe. As the Pride meets again, Robert wonders why the box would blow the power if it's not connected to the electricity, but Janet downplays that idea. Nico wants to ask their parents what they were doing, and Molly's photo is inconclusive. Victor turns down Jeffrey's help to pack up his machine before discovering destiny is still inside. The parents and their children reconnect as Alex urges status quo. Chase and his mom are picked up by Leapfrog, Nemo's new self-driving SUV with extra large trunk space. Nico confesses to Alex she is afraid of being alone with her parents without her sister Amy. Frank attempts 
to access Leslie's private meditation suite, but is shut down by Lackey Vaughn as the mysterious figure in the other room comes to for a moment. At home, Nico spies on her mom putting the staff away. A terrified Molly asks Gert to sleep with her that night and to sing to her. As Alex texts the group that they're going to figure uh, it out and meet tomorrow at 10, Gert's voice echoes into the basement where it soothes the dinosaur as well. After discussing the day's events with his wife and the notion he believed he left a life of murder behind on the streets of South Central, Jeffrey finds Molly's cat pin in front of the secret passageway. Pete, back at New York Comic Con when we saw the first episode, uh, the panel had started a bit late. We don't know, you know, for what reasons, but uh, there was the spirited introduction of everyone. Then, oh, we're going to show you an episode, and everybody was happy. Then the episode gets done, and at some point it gets revealed that episode 102 is going to retell this story, but from the perspective of the parents. And everyone went, ooh, because frankly, you, you know, rarely do you get such a story as that. At the time, I just thought, oh, what an interesting writerly affectation mm-hmm. a way to better know our villains and things like that it was only part way through the episode we're kind of clicked here you need to retell things from their point of view yes. there are six runaway teens each of which has two parents at home that's 12 now all of them are not necessarily equal victor is getting way much more screen time than say stacy york's but Nonetheless, even in their pairs, there's individual personalities that, uh, as they are, as, you know, as, as unique characters. So what a brilliant idea to give us an entire episode in context of the, the teen's perspective from the first episode to get to know the Wilders, the Deans, the Steins, the Yorks, and the Minorus. Um, it, it's, it's such a great idea to do it like this. And to top that, there was like a 30 second uh, extended moment there uh, at New York Comic Con when Josh Schwartz floated the premise for the follow up episode that I thought we were actually going to get it. And then, you know, you looked at the clock and figured out, all right, they're they're running late anyway, and we won't do that. And we're just going to have to wait six weeks until we see it on on what network, Matt? Uh, <laughs> Pete, if that's a callback to uh, to the New York Comic Con panel, yes. Netflix. No, not Netflix. ABC. <laughs> not ABC. Amazon Prime. <laughs> not Amazon Prime. I gotta or, pay for Hulu or Freeform. Yeah, uh, and Marvel TV uh, head Jeff Loeb, you know, with his shtick where he pumps up the audience you know all right you guys are gonna say marvel and you guys are gonna say runaways and you guys you have the simple part you're gonna say hulu and you guys are gonna say november 21st um and it's cute and it's catchy and everything but i was super ready for this episode and i think it delivered despite the fact three quarters of it is the recap and then we get the little event at the beginning of them leaving and, and Molly pushing the door open and then the, the follow up with the end stuff and all the all the kids reconnecting with the folks and, and pairing off and, and the advancement of the relationships. I will echo that and say um, 
maybe it's just because we were pre-sold on this idea of episode 102 is the same story from the other perspective i could have done with just the whole episode being from that other perspective treated as an yeah. alternate pilot yeah. that said it probably does make more sense to go from this really tense moment of oh man our evil killing parents are coming to get us to showing the backstory to that and then concluding that story with our heroes just a way too that it operates in the negative space of the moments from the pilot you know, Alex has just gotten in the car and the parents have a, a tense discussion. You know, the Yorkses have just dropped off the kids and, you know, they they crap on um, uh, Victor Stein's uh, car and, you know, the, the mention of the Brie again. It, w- it was really cute and well done. Perhaps I don't know Brie well enough. I'm not quite clear how one does it homemade. Um but you but, make any cheese at home. Yeah. Now I will grant you, Pete, that Stacy Yorks is a is bioengineer. It, is it dinosaur cheese? Uh, <laughs> is it dinosaur milk? It is a female dinosaur, Matt. Pete, Although they're lizards, think, oh. so they wouldn't produce milk. So there you go. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, not quite sure. We're, we're we're milking old lace there. But uh Pete, where do you want to start as we dive into this episode talking about baddies? May I point out, by the way, before you tell us where we're going to start, that in this episode, the runaways are kind of the baddies yeah, well, to the parents. And and particularly with the way that we examine these shows, I think that this episode presents some issues. So actually, I only have one villain in this episode, Matt, that I want to explore, and that's Darius Davis. Well, Pete, I knew that Darius Davis probably was actually the hero of this because clearly anybody is a hero who brandishes their firearm from their holster in public um i did notice the c that he gave at the end and i had to look that up on wikipedia pete he may have the gang affiliations he has a crips tattoo on him as well i'm sure it's makeup but yeah it was a little much which the brandishing of uzis in broad daylight at the Los Angeles construction site um, would have probably drawn some attention. But uh, I appreciate in particular when he has the conversation with Jeffrey, there seems to be some bad blood. See what I did there? Uh, <laughs> oh, I, um, now I get it. Be- between the current crip and quite possibly the former. But at the same time um, that Uh, Jeffrey seems to have built his rise on the backs of others. And there's a little bit of a loyalty issue, not just to Darius, but to the streets and to the community. Darius tells him, you know, you're, you're not building something great for the community. You're building something great for Jeffrey Wilder. Yeah. I I like that in a show that had me kind of um, preparing for this intersection of teens and powers and parents are the villains um i like that we're getting to know these uh parent characters so well and indeed digging into uh digging into the past that they all have i mean i feel like we had a slightly different presentation of jeffrey in this episode mm-hmm. versus the first episode and that's not to that's say that why there's... i can't make him a villain there's pangs of conscience we don't ordinarily see i i would 
hesitate to say that Marvel villains are two dimensional, but they come from comic books, which is a two dimensional art form. So there you go. But I, I think a lot of times many of their villains tend to be two dimensional. And here with the hangups he feels about destiny here with the concern about what's going on, that he can't just pay Darius off. He'll keep coming back. Um, you know, he does do something pretty nefarious in at least sideways threatening, you know, here's your grandmother's house and, you know, I'm going to blow her up or whatever uh, that Darius backs off from. But this is a guy who knew what he was getting into with Jeffrey Wilder, who's got a lot of resources via the pride and some of the company, some of the corporate sponsors, Matt, of the pride. Well, I'm going to label as a villain in this episode, Tina, and not for the obvious reasons, you know, the facilitating in the uh, presumed death of destiny, presumed by them, we obviously see at least she's not uh, dead after that initial encounter in the pod. And Pete, this is no joke with what I'm about to say here. A line that stuck out with me as kind of this like, aw, was as they're all leaving, when Tina gets in one more dig against Stacy's Brie. Um, it, was a, it was a fun enough yuck earlier in the episode where it's like, oh, nobody's looking forward to that. Where, you know, we've all been there where it's, oh, the social niceties of, a, I have to do X, Y, Z. Right. The fact that Tina would give that Jabs, give that burn yeah. in front of all the other adults, in front of some of the kids. Kids, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, to me, there's just this. Look, if that's the writerly way to say, "Hey, there's a these are all bad people, but she's the worst." If that's another way to telegraph it home, aside from the fact that she also has, you know, ha has the uh, the magical staff and all of that. Fair enough, but to me, it just it. Here they are, Pete. I know they just tried to kill Destiny, or they believe they killed Destiny, or they're going to mm -hmm. suck out her life force, Dark Crystal style. Whatever the plan is, it's clearly bad. But there's just that extra bit of bad there for Tina. She is the second least likable of all of the parents after Victor Stein. Um, you know, sealing her husband behind a force field. I mean, who does that? in the middle of a conversation and that'll spur some of the theories we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, and, and even the way they dress her, uh, in the first and second episodes with that shoulder puffy thing happening, you know, nobody likes people like that. Well, I'll just follow the, the costuming tangent ever so briefly. And I suspect it'll be, uh, it'll be theory time. I know that they're trying to hit a certain, at least perceived TV rating here. You know, they're, they're using the S word a little bit, but clearly they're not going for TVMA. I thought it was just interesting as they showed the characters uh, undressing. For the most part, there was no kind of cheesecake or beefcake shots there. It was all kind of very clinical almost and done mm -hmm. in a way where it's not kind of celebrating the lack of clothing, but instead you really feel like this, this other person is being put on. And I, and I don't mean that literally, but just this notion of, I mean, imagine, you know, like a, as a butcher puts on the, the apron uh, preparing to, to, to break down a carcass, that kind of weight to it. Yeah. And I think we'll have a little bit to talk about when we look at some communication from some of our listeners in terms of the vibe they thought that uh, was being evoked there. But let's get to some theories, Matt. First off, I mentioned the pride. We get it spelled out, albeit briefly, in a way that Hulu won't allow you to do screenshots. They're wise to that. Um, you know, really had to look 
but uh, pride stands for promoting resilience, independence, dedication, and excellence. And the corporate sponsors of pride at the Wilder construction site are Nemo, that, of course, uh, Victor Stein's car company, I guess. Wizard, which seems to be connected to the Minorus, the, the phone tech end. And Synergy, which has the little DNA um, logo there uh, that appears also on the half pipe during the credit sequence that is likely connected with the Yorkses. Ooh, that is a, that is a great catch there. And I think that ties into perhaps the greatest strength of this episode, which is to make me care about these adult characters in a way that I was not um, was not planning on it. And I think you do. That's the smart way that this is written. Yes, the the premise of your your parents are evil, just like every kid is always thought when they're 15 and they can't go out to Applebee's at 945 on a school night because parents suck but uh they're they're human beings and we see you know i'm 42 matt is in his 30s and he is a parent i am not but you know i think we see a lot of ourselves as audience members in these parents yeah i think particularly the care that they take in in this episode that's I mean, I didn't catch the runtime exactly, but certainly in the neighborhood of 50 minutes, some of the conversations that Jeffrey and Catherine have, um, a little bit more emphasis towards Jeffrey, but there's just there's such pathos there. There's concern for this school project that we still don't fully understand. Um, Members of the Pride don't understand the cause, says Robert Minoru a little later on. So there seem to be levels of hierarchy within this group even. Well, and, and I think that's one of the, the successes. When we, have, when we have this separation between the characters and, and this idea, to, whether it's with the Brie comment or a comment like you just mentioned, Pete, this idea that they're all on the same page for what they do with Pride, but Pride really doesn't seem to be connected to the church i know there's dialogue that says that uh, there's dialogue that suggests that there might be a, a, a tenuous connection but this is not that they're all i didn't read this episode as they're all pulled into the highest levels of the church of gaborum now i could no. i could be proved wrong but there's this kind of nebulous why are they doing this and i like yeah that. i think it's a separate situation from the church the church is a front for what they're doing here the destiny says she doesn't recognize any of those people i think is a very clear indication of that mm. um well let's go blow by blow here let's start with uh victor stein time travel obsession also not able to dematerialize the mouse nor destiny it it certainly appears from all the science we see him executing, he appears to be a um, an ineffective person. He, this appears to all be smoke and mirrors. That said, the episode also tells us that he's won Humanitarian of the Year twice, and he has a hand in these self-driving cars. So it's it's interesting that we see him failing at this one thing. Clearly, the episode making efforts to make us clear that he is more than a snake oil salesman um 
And again, on the one hand, there's this incongruity to it, but but I like it. And having looked at all these adults when they were first assembled in the first episode, obviously James Marsters uh, jumps out. Um, geek cred and all of that. For me, Kevin Wiseman, who plays Dale Yorks, also had caught my eye just from his time on Alias. But you really start to sense here, A, why Victor Stein is a slightly larger role uh, requiring this this actor with a bit more geek cred. Uh, but also you still see that menacing side of his own failure tying back to last uh, to the last episode where Chase was being chided for failing uh, language class. And I think, too, the choice of Stein as the surname, obviously a callback to Dr. Frankenstein. And you mentioned the smoke and mirrors. Clearly, he has some level of technical and uh, other scientific expertise, but it's just not happening here. It's embarrassing, hence his reason to hide it there. Not like he's going to the other members of the group. Oh, she didn't go away. So I'm interested in the follow-up there. How he deals with it could push him further into that dark territory. How about um, the discussion? It's not as much in the pilot, but uh, the um, the Wilders discuss Amy Minoru and the unthinkable tragedy there, Matt, though we still don't know what befell her. Cancer? Did she disappear in a box? What happened? Well, I don't know what happened, but in addition to having the story moving forward in time and then backward as we get to know the past of these characters, we now have that happening doubly with the adults. Um, I'll, I'll say this, Pete, regarding Amy, uh, and maybe this is overanalyzing. Maybe I'm just, Pete, maybe I'm spending too much time looking at the wrong stuff on the screen. But I couldn't help but notice that when we saw the mysterious shriveled body in this episode, Care was taken as the body writhes. Care was taken to make sure that the the blanket covered the bosom. So that suggests it's to me It's so funny that you say that because I am now convinced that body is the father of Leslie Dean. <laughs> so <laughs> I see an old man in Kenny Rogers makeup. Uh and if they they showed us photos of him in life um yeah i'm convinced it's it's the grandfather now well time will certainly tell on that pete speaking of makeup or is it this is going to sound like a deep cut but this is a genuine possible theory i uh, i thought the agent played by longtime character actor larry miller who i uh -huh. personally know best as the father from 10 things i hate about you walter stratford I know a lot of time has gone by since 10 Things I Hate About You, 18 years, in fact. Um, he's looking a little old there to the point I was watching it going, has this actor, who I have to admit I had to look up the name. I mean, he's been in a ton of stuff, including, um, uh, let's see, at least Best in Show. I know. Yeah. Uh, um, and he's just great in like this direct, smarmy kind of way. I, I was having this discussion with myself in kind of this moment of, oh my goodness, I was. It was but a moment ago I was in high school, and now all these years have gone by. Was he wearing old makeup, and is there going to be some sort of twist, or has has 18 years really gone by since 10 Things I Hate About You? You know that I even had that conversation with myself, I think, proves there might be something going on. I went so far, Matt, to think maybe he was wearing a fat suit because um, he looked a lot larger 
than the last time I've seen him. And I get it. You know, you're you're an agent and they're trying to portray a certain idea, particularly the crass things he says about, you know, Frank Dean and uh, how a lot of, uh, you know, girls became women with his poster uh, in in their room. Um, but, yeah, his his attention that that he grabs there and his appearance definitely portrays an idea. For whatever it's worth, I'll just point out that recent roles he's had in the last couple of years have character names like the Dean, motorcycle cop, rabbi, um, things that suggest perhaps he's not getting, you know, and Larry Miller as, you know, Captain it, Smoke or whatever. And it happens to much of Hollywood. And here he fills a role. He plays this agent. You know, some some screenwriter is sitting down there and that just flows right out of their fingertips. Like, oh, all right, I'm going to write about my agent here or write about a dark version of my agent and a story I've heard about letting a client go or whatever. Um, it's effective. But, yeah, his his appearance was worse for wear if it was not makeup. Quick theory Matt, question, Pete. Is this seeding the possibility of a new spinoff call, called called? <laughs> Marvel's agents of CAA, that's Creative Origins Agency, in which they try and sign uh, powered people to to represent them in Hollywood. You got wow. your Inhumans. To, you got to your the Sokovia Accords. Yeah, I'm exactly. I'm going to take it even further. It's going to be called Agents of Agents of Shield. <laughs> oh, some sort of behind the scenes thing, Pete. What other theories do you have? Who was on the other end? Of Mrs. Stein's phone call. Pete, I'm only going for this because it is oil and water, because it is the zig and the zag, and maybe because I have a soft spot from the aforementioned alias. I think it is Kevin Weissman's Dale York's. It's really? gonna be it's gonna be, you know, kind of the dorky guy who whatever, whatever. He and Stacy also have what appears to be the most um Loving Part, marriage, loving marriage, partnerly. Um, the fact wow. that th there, there's there's just this easy. It's not Robert. It's not uh, Robert Minoru, who's paid her a compliment in front of her husband. Uh, you know, there there seems to be a little bit of uh, attraction there. She makes the comment here to to cover. Oh well, you know, just because it's not connected to the electricity doesn't mean that it couldn't spike the power. You don't think it's him? Uh, Pete, I didn't say I was using my head for that choice. I was using <laughs> my heart. Okay. And I think, I think time will tell having not seen the next episode, but planning on watching it tonight. I look forward to being either right or wrong. The download that Darius conducts of Jeffrey Wilder's phone. Clearly that is seeding story issues down the road. Gee, huh? What's all this stuff about? Time travel, dinosaurs, murdering a teenager, um, and keeping tabs on our kids. Uh, clearly, he's going to stumble across some stuff. Maybe Darius, Matt, even moves into the good, helping the kids. Is this Professor X? Oh, I'm sorry, Pete. I wasn't listening because I was teching the tech with the tech to make tech things happen. <laughs> now, I, I grant you, this is not taking place in our world. It's a different universe. But I feel like that was, I hate to say this, Pete, because I like this show quite a bit so far. I feel like that was Josh Schwartz and Stephanie Savage being a little lazy 
Uh, they are they are right around our age, so I don't want to say uh, you know adults. <clears throat> um, although Stephanie Savage is closer to fifty than forty, and Jake uh, Schwartz is uh, forty-one. Uh, pardon me, Josh Schwartz is forty-one. But I kind of felt like it was like I don't know. Then they use the phone to do things with the apps. I mean, listen, we're coming to you on Black Friday night on a day when Macy's has already admitted it has suffered a massive breach of data. So it's not as if phones and credit cards don't get cloned every single day. Uh, I don't think there's a person on this podcast who has never dealt with a fraud investigation into their credit card in terms of a charge or whatever it is. Some jerky charged $2,000 at a Pier 1 with one of my credit cards. And my question was, what did they buy? And they couldn't even tell me that. Wow. Um, So I don't find the idea that data could be copied off a phone if you surrendered it in this situation i i find it nefarious that that was planned ahead of time like we're going to take this and yeah so we can't record it but we're going to scan everything that's on it and obviously that's going to lead to real story trouble when they analyze that data back at the crypt uh clubhouse i get that it almost certainly is just a way to move the story forward and that's fine um and I suppose it's wiggle room enough just to say they could do it because they did it. I mean, it's the same as any other bit of fiction. But to me, it was just a slight it was a sore point technologically. What do you make of Molly's fatigue after her show of strength there that the kids, obviously in a tension filled moment, don't pick up? on that she was the one able to move the door you've read the comic i have not yet read the comic um is that a thing pete i must admit it's been so long since i've read it it is a bit hazy and being hashtag spoiler free hashtag blessed free of spoilers (laughs) um and i have my have my anti-spoiler ring as you mentioned in the last episode um i honestly don't remember and i like kind of not remembering um because it makes the story anew. Uh, but I'll tell you this. I like that we are able to see her fatigue. I like that that there are these clues for them to figure out. Um, it's it's something that they obviously so easily discast, uh, cast away, discounted. Um, and, and I like that, that that's going to surely pop up later as their powers get revealed. Molly is so clearly my favorite character, despite the fact that I really like all of the kids. There's not one who's a stinker. But what Allegra Acosta brings to the role in terms of believability, I just wanted a little bit more with her in, in, in this episode. And at the end, when she winds up with her sister and she's, you know, sleeping um, or, or getting ready to fall asleep with her and has her sing the lullaby, Matt, Gert's voice gets down to the dinosaur and the dinosaur takes notice. So. You know, we've seen that Molly has strength and crazy eyes. Alex has uh, the power to have awful parents who seem to be organizing all of this. Um, Carolina has wavy space arms. Um, 
Nico has a mom who has a staff and she apparently has an interest in magic and, and may eventually do magic herself. Chase likes robot hands. Um, what is Gert's power or ability or whatever? Well, and that now I will lean ever so slightly on, on what I recall as some info from the, uh, from the comics. I think Gert and that, uh, that, Hinted at connection between Gert and uh, and the, the yet unnamed dinosaur. What will they name it? Um, I, I I think that's where we're headed. I dare say. And by the way, Pete, back to actress Allegra Acosta just for a moment. Here's why she may have appeared in slightly less of the episode. All the other kid actors are played by people who are uh, at least eighteen. Uh, Allegra Acosta. 14 so i think that uh maybe she couldn't do that scene maybe they had to write around the fact that she needed to do you know school on the set or you know be out of work on time that kind of thing well definitely uh not a less is more situation you you want to see her uh on the screen in terms of what her character brings well, Pete, what some great characters also bring us is their support on Patreon.com slash Fantastic Geek, making sure the bills get paid, you know, those flashes of light and the staffs which power the pod that makes the pod in podcast Podify. It wouldn't be possible without you. So thank you, one and all, who have visited. Thank you, those who do support us. So proud to be listener-supported. We are so proud of our pride of patrons matt who go to patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash fantastic geek everybody who contributes gets exclusive podcast content and then there's all sorts of levels to donate at so if you're victor stein you know you go right for the for the big one you know maybe you're the yorks's and you spend a lot of money on uh homemade soft cheeses so you know you you can only give a, a buck a month whatever everything is appreciated and it's Everything's going to net you something. So thanks again for helping us, particularly at a time of year when we got to pay the bills. Pete, the greatest gift, though, is always being able to be in touch with you on Twitter. How can people do so? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-T-E-L-A-A-R, 9,645 followers. Can't be wrong. While I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast anytime you like. Click over to fantasticgeek.com, email fantasticgeek@gmail.com. Check us out on Twitter and Instagram, Fantastic Geek under both of those. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the PH, all one word, like it today. With that, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. For life. Cause the music was high and this girl's hand was steadily moving up my thigh. She had opened up three buttons on her shirt so far. I guess that's why I didn't notice that police car. We're doing 90 in my mom's new portion to make this long story short. Short when the cop pulled me over, I was scared as hell. I said I don't have a license, but I drive very well, officer. Almost had a heart attack that day. Come to find out the girl was a 12. The car was impounded. There was no way for me to avoid being grounded. My parents had to come off a vacation to get me. I'd rather be in jail than to have my father hit me. My parents walked in and I got my grip. I said, uh, mom, dad, how was your trip? They didn't
didn't speak. I said I want to plead my case. But my father just shoved me in the car on my face. That was a hard ride home. I don't know how I survived it. They took turns. One would beat me while the other one was driving. I can't believe it. I just made a mistake. Well, parents are the same no matter time, no place. So to you other kids all across the land, take it from me. Parents just...